Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. So the conference finals are set. Bucks versus Hawks in the East and Clippers and Suns in the West, with the Suns already taking a 1-0 lead by winning on Sunday. And... I don't know that I ever thought that I'd be mentioning those four teams as the last four teams standing, but here we are. There are a number of vitamins. Uh, vitamins. There are a number of items I want to get to, but the one thing I'm not going to do is drag Ben Simmons. I'll leave that to the Stephen A's and others who have made tapping into a fan base's anger both an art and a science. I said after his second year in the league that his refusal or inability to develop a jump shot was going to hamstring him. Ben, that is, not Stephen A. Although, if I recall from our days playing pickup, Stephen A's jumper was not exactly reliable either. One thing I don't need, I don't need Ben's mea culpa now that he's got a lot to improve on. It's too late. I know that sounds harsh for someone who's only 24 years old, but we're five years into his career, which includes wasting the chance to develop a shooting stroke while he sat out his entire first year with a broken bone in his foot. There was no greater opportunity to focus on one specific thing, and the ability to form shoot and get that down, I can't think of a more more ideal situation than being with an NBA franchise, and having the entire year to simply work on that. 
The percentage of shots that he has both taken and made outside of 10 feet in the playoffs has steadily fallen every year. That is unconscionable. And it's not just developing a shot and then trusting it at this point. It's the process of carving out his place as a shooter in the Sixers hierarchy at this point. First year, second year, a star can miss shots and not worry that he'll be benched or told not to shoot. Look at what Kevin Durant did when he first came in the league with Seattle. Ben was actually in the perfect position to experiment because the Sixers weren't trying to win at that point anyway. So there was no pressure. That time is long gone for Simmons and the Sixers. The pressure is on now to win. An investment has been made in other offensive weapons. I'd say the best chance Simmons has to still reach some form of stardom is to abandon the idea that he's a point guard. And look, I know, he's already been a defensive player of the year. He's been an all-star. Like You could say that he's achieved star status. But as we know, it really has to, has to do with what you do in the postseason, what you do on a playoff team. And he has not delivered on that stage at all. Now, this would require a complete makeover in every respect. And I'm not even sure that would be enough. I don't know if he's tough enough to play the four, but that's the conversation I would have with him at this point. Hell, Doc Rivers had him off the ball once they crossed half court enough that it wouldn't be that extreme of a switch. I suspect Simmons would not go along with it because if he was open to suggestions or constructive criticism, he wouldn't be where he is now. This is also one of the great failings of the whole process, which had precious few veterans, proven, respected veterans, on the roster who could take young talents like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and show them what the winning formula was all about. Having had an up-close and personal look at the Warriors when they finally came together, it was the Jarrett Jacks and the Carl Landrys who really showed Steph and Clay and Draymond what winning was all about how it was achieved on a daily basis, how you improved. Ben didn't have any of that. So who's going to have that conversation with him? What player is going to model what he has to do and how to do it? I don't see one on the Sixers roster, that's for sure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And that was probably way more time than I intended to spend on Simmons. But there you have it. Every postseason has certain hallmarks that are shared by the winning teams 
and the losing teams alike. And one is pretty clear. Depth and versatility is trumping star power. I haven't bought into the idea that you need a big three for several years now, if ever. It's a lazy way to look at the game and composition of title-winning teams. The secret sauce of the Warriors championship team in 2015 was its depth and versatility, along with the fact that they were playing a, a brand new style of game in terms of small ball, switching everything. Those were relatively new, uh, switching everything on defense, that is. It was a relatively new concept. Uh, playing a point forward as much as they did with Draymond Green. All of this reflected by the fact that Andre Iguodala coming off the bench was the finals MVP. When that depth was compromised by injuries to Steph Curry, Iguodala, and Andrew Bogut, they were beaten by a Cavaliers team that had LeBron and a host of healthy role players. Hell, they barely had a big two in LeBron and Kyrie. What they had, though, was Richard Jefferson and J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love and Amon Shumpert playing their roles to near perfection. Now, the next two Warriors titles were built off of a big four, actually. But let's face it, we may never see three accomplished scorers like KD, Steph, and Klay Thompson on one team again. And it was the fact that two of them, Klay and KD, were also outstanding two-way players. As good that year on defense as they were on offense, with Draymond providing a third outstanding defender to splice with Steph's otherworldly offense. Depth and versatility is how the Raptors knocked them off. And same could be said for the Lakers last year in the bubble. As good as LeBron and Anthony Davis were, they don't win without Dwight Howard, Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Rajon Rondo all making key contributions at key moments. We're seeing the same this year. Without Kevin Herter coming up big in Game 7, Hawks are not in the conference finals. Without Terrence Mann doing the same for the Clippers in Game 6, they're not facing the Suns. The Bucks got key contributions from Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, and Brooke Lopez, where the Nets did not from Joe Harris or Bruce Brown or Landry Shamit. The Suns have had different members of the supporting cast step up at different times. Cameron Payne was particularly big against the Lakers, exposing their lack, their lack of depth this year, and again in Game 1 against the Clippers without Chris Paul. Mikel Bridges has had his moments, as has Jay Crowder. Going back to the Nets for a second, I'm seeing a lot of fans and critics hang the Nets' elimination on coach Steve Nash. But it's not as if Mike Budenholzer outcoached him. Coach Bud simply had more depth and versatility to draw on. The Bucks could play both big and small, but the Nets only had one choice. Play small and ride Kevin Durant. If Nash made a mistake, it was never giving KD a breather. But I'm going to attribute that to the veteran coach next to him, assistant Mike D'Antoni, 
who made the same mistake in Houston with James Harden. It's basically been his M.O. to ride his stars, regular season, playoffs, play them heavy minutes, lean on them hard. Now, in this instance, KD only played half the regular season. This idea that you can load manage and keep guys fresh, and then they're suddenly going to be up to the task of playing heavy minutes in the postseason where the, the strain and demand of every minute is twice that of what it is in the regular season. There's no way KD was prepared to play damn near every minute of every game in the playoffs. And not, not that he played every minute, but he averaged 40-plus and played every minute in Game 7. When they went to overtime, he was completely spent. It's not a surprise that he went scoreless in those five minutes. Meanwhile, Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday, they all played heavy minutes too, but not the entire series. And they were coming off a regular season where they all played 59 or more games. I don't think the Bucks beat the Nets as much as they outlasted them. No one has been more conscientious, by the way, about keeping his core fresh than the Clippers' Ty Lu, who has given double-digit minutes to 10 different players in the, in the playoffs, with Paul George averaging the most with a very manageable 40 minutes. Nick McMillan has taken the same approach with the Hawks, giving an average of 10 or more minutes to nine different players. All of those substitutions that getting two or three minutes from a player here and there, those are huge in the postseason. Now, I had the Clippers and Bucks in the finals this year since the beginning of the year. But for the Bucks to get there, they are going to need contributions from Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, and Connaughton again at some point in this series against the Hawks. If they don't get them, then I don't care how Giannis plays, Drew Holiday plays, Chris Middleton plays, they're not winning the series. If Budenholzer stays with a six-man rotation, as he did for the most part in games six and seven, they're not getting there. Doc Rivers with Philadelphia has used his bench maybe better than Budenholzer or Nash. He simply didn't have the talent to make it work. You look at all the pieces that the Sixers have, and there's not a natural fit. There's not a natural rotation. There's not a natural, this is who I go to for this particular thing. Seth Curry was his second best player against the Hawks. And as happy as I am for him showing out, he was consistently targeted on defense to great success for the Hawks. Jordan, Hark, uh, Jordan Clarkson was in the same category for the Jazz. Scoring well enough, but a serious liability at the other end. Quinn Snyder utilized his bench to the same extent that Doc did, but again, he just didn't have anyone from the supporting cast who gave the kind of performance the Hawks got from Herder or the Clippers did from Mann or the Suns got from Payne. Donovan Mitchell's bad ankle also doomed them. They simply didn't have another consistent scorer who could create his own shot or force the Clippers to send help to stop him. 
two-way players, the number of two-way players that a team has, whether substitute, complementary, or star, makes a big difference too. If I'm the Clippers, I can't help but feel good about how Game 1 went against the Suns. Marcus Morris gave them almost nothing. Reggie Jackson and Paul George tried to do too much. Reflected by Reggie's five turnovers and PG focusing far too much on scoring as opposed to rebounding and defending, which is really where he made his mark in the previous series. Now, a lot of this also has to do with when are we going to see Chris Paul? Are we going to see Kawhi Leonard at any point? But what I didn't like about what Paul George and Reggie did is they combined to take more than half of the Clippers' shots in Game 1. That's not the recipe that got them to the conference finals, and it won't be the formula that wins them the series. That's how they started out against Dallas, with Kawhi and Paul George dominating the shots. And the less they shot, the less they relied on those two and spread it around, the better they got. Again, depth and versatility. That has been the hallmark of the teams that have been successful. And if the Clippers are going to continue their success, they need to get back to that. Understandable that Paul George and Reggie might have felt like they needed to carry a little more of the weight, had almost no time to prep for the Suns. And on the Suns' end of things, they had, what, nearly a week to get ready? They're young enough, they're hungry enough, the rust aspect of having time off, I wouldn't expect that that would impact them, as it clearly didn't. Certainly helps to start at home as well with a noon game. It's just a lot of variables there working against the Clippers. So as I said, if I'm them, I'm feeling like we've got a really good chance here, even without Kawhi Leonard crazy as that may seem. I suspect that the ratings for the conference finals and finals are not going to be great. To me, that's not a referendum on the level of basketball that we're going to see. The casual fan is drawn in by the battle of big names, established stars, storied franchises. We don't have any of that awaiting us. I'm actually looking forward to watching both series and who ends up being the champion because execution and efficiency are going to loom large. Coaching decisions are going to loom large. It's another reason why, as much as I'd like to see my prediction on the Bucks going to the finals and losing to the Clippers, I'd like to see that uh, become a reality. I I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Coach Budenholzer right now. Who makes the bigger impact off the bench? Bryn Forbes or Lou Williams could make the difference in at least one or two games. Same goes for Jay Crowder versus Marcus Morris. I'm not suggesting that it's going to come down to those specific role players. I'm just using them as examples. I don't know who's going to show up. I didn't know that Kevin Herter was going to go off in Game 7. Even though he did some things, well, maybe because he did some things, on the drives and step backs, he got those to go. Certainly helped that right from the beginning, 
he was knocking down shots. You could tell he was he was ready to go. And then being defended by Seth Curry gave him ample opportunity to utilize his six seven height and simply shoot over him. But you can look at every team that makes it to the finals and ultimately comes out on top. And you'll find that the winning team had ancillary players who made their mark somehow, some way, while the losing team had that sub come in and give a subpar, inefficient 10-minute stretch. I'm thinking specifically of the Warriors after Andrew Bogut got hurt. They looked to Festus Azili to give them something. He couldn't. That's the beauty of the playoffs in general and seven-game series in particular. The Stars tend to cancel each other out, and it comes down to players who are not on the marquee rising to the occasion. And now we get to find out who those players might be. I know I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. In the next podcast, I am planning, since we're not going to have a game in the next 24 hours, I want to talk about John Stockton, who has made news because of his appearance in a documentary on the COVID vaccine and not believing in it and questioning some things about how we approach the entire pandemic. Talk about getting dragged. John Stockton has been dragged as a result of participating in that documentary. I know some things about John. I know some things about why his view of the vaccine are the way they are. And I plan to share that in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.